Welcome back to 9to5Photographer, the podcast for photographers and filmmakers who'd like to get more shoots, make more money and spend more time doing the things they love. And I'm really pleased you're here today because today's guest is someone whose passion is photographing families and she does some corporate work. But for her, not weddings. It's just not really her thing. Her name is Stephanie Belton and we discover in this episode how she puts herself in her client's shoes to provide them with what they want, but also to understand how they feel. And by understanding how they feel, of course, she's able to get the best from them. Now, not only that, but if you've ever been in a situation of feeling like you're not good enough for your clients, maybe because you don't have letters after your name from any photography associations, then I think you're going to come away from this episode feeling much more self-assured. And this year, possibly more so than any other year, I think that's something we all need in this industry. So let's jump across and meet Stephanie right now. Stephanie, first of all, thank you for being here today. It's great to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Simon, for inviting me. I'm, I'm quite excited, actually. Well, I'm excited to talk to you as well. It's great to have someone here on the show, actually, who's not originally from the UK. We'll get to that in just a moment. But uh, I think it's going to be helpful for people to understand a little bit more about what it's like to be not from the UK originally and running a business here in the UK. But Stephanie, I wonder if, first of all, if you could give our listeners just a little bit of context, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where in, where in the world you are and anything like, you know, what you used to do before you were doing photography. Okay, so I'm Stephanie Belton. I live in St Albans in Hertfordshire and I grew up in France. I'm originally um, from France. Um, and I still see myself as French, even though I did actually last year do my um, British citizenship. Um, okay, yeah. But that's <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, so I did an Erasmus exchange in Berlin, met my husband, who's British, and then thought, oh, you know, I finished my studies. I thought I'll, I'll come to, to London for a bit because it sounded really exciting. I think I always loved the music and there was like a British coolness that I thought would be great to experience. Um, mm -hmm. And it was a really very serious relationship at the time. I thought, you know, when we split up, I'll then move over to a different countries, move on to a different country. And uh, nearly 25 years later, I'm, um, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm still here in the UK. <laughs> it is my home here. I know I sound very French, but I feel having a you know British husband and in-laws and stuff. I you know and kids as well. I've got two teenagers. Mm -hmm. um, I do feel kind of in tune with the British culture as well. Um, but I I do like to you know I like the idea. There's maybe a um, richness coming from the fact that you've got multicultural um, upbringing, I suppose. And how long have you been doing your photography for? So I started um, just over 15 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. I used to work in IT. So I studied, um, I studied computer science. I worked in IT, a very exciting time. Um, you know, the infancy of the internet, really, where everybody was coming up with new ideas. What's, you know, what would be the next idea that's going to make us millionaires, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, so I worked for an um, internet consultancy in Clerkenwell. It was all, it was a great time to work in IT. Mm. Um, and when I got pregnant with my first daughter, I decided I didn't really want to do the commute anymore every day. I just couldn't see myself doing, you know, nine to five in London, uh, five days a week. So I decided it's, it's quite easy in IT to, you know, do a bit of freelance work. So I thought I'd do maybe three days a week at home and then slowly developed 
the photography almost as a side hustle. I don't think I envisaged initially that it was going to become a full-time job for me. Mm. It was just something, uh, I got a lot of, of encouragement from other mum friends. I think it, is a, it's a, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but I think many women photographers started like this and they're taking photos of their own kids and then getting loads of praise from friends and taking you know their camera to mum and baby meetings or NCT yeah. groups and then... Um, and then I had a, this one friend who, who was, gave me so much encouragement and said, you know, you've got a talent and you should, you should charge for this. Hmm. Um, and I think that's probably what gave me the idea to, to start my business. So at the time, the idea of lifestyle baby photography, I, I wasn't familiar with it. I, I hadn't come across it. Um, and because it was before the age of social media, it was actually, you know, the only things you could see available were studio photography, which wasn't really, you know, my idea of what I wanted to do at all. No. I mean, Venture was a big company back then. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know, yeah, lots of I mean, white studio backgrounds, wasn't it? Yes. And I remember actually, you say Venture, I remember one friend showed me this massive album she put on the table. It was like a encyclopedia a huge album and she'd paid 1500 pounds for it i remember at the time it sounded like such a lot of money and she was showing me all these photos she, and she was delighted with it all the mm. photos she'd had taken with a white background you know of her family and stuff and i thought wow so people are prepared to pay a lot of money for you know family photography i, I had no idea but i wanted to do it in the home i thought this is what I want to be doing and trying to capture it more, maybe slightly more documentary style. I mean, I say documentary style, my style isn't really documentary by today's standard at all. Mm. Um, but it was just maybe a, a little bit less staged than what you'd get in the studio, I suppose. Taking it out of the studio and letting people be more like themselves, I guess. Yes. And I think for me is looking back at my own childhood photos, I love seeing the space, not just the faces, but also, you know, remembering the rooms and how the, you know, the rooms felt and what decor there was. And even, I know the decor maybe gets dated, but then, you know, if I was born in the 70s, I would expect maybe 70s decor. It's all part of, it's all part of the, the story, I guess. I guess as well, one of the different, well, one of the major differences is that if you're photographing people in a studio, then you're always really going to get them to do the same kinds of things. You're going to put them in the same positions, the same poses. Whereas when you're photographing people out and about, whether it's in their homes or in a local park, then every day the lighting is going to be different. The backgrounds are going to be different. It's, I guess you have to think much more so on your feet as opposed to it being more sort of formula driven. That's true. Yeah. I would say no two job is the same. Although, you know, with time I have, you know, my kind of the way that I run the session, you know, is quite similar. Uh, but what I love about going into people's home is that I get also, I get inspired by their environment so i am i am then able to be more in tune with what they like i can see the stuff they've got up on the wall i can see the decor in the room and straight away it's so it becomes almost like a brief i can see the kind of thing that they're drawn to um and i will definitely shoot in a different way depending on whether i can see the decor being quite traditional or being really edgy mm -hmm. i'm gonna then it's gonna affect everything from you know the way i run the session um to what the photos that I choose in the culling process and even how I'm going to process them. If I see that everything they've got up on the wall is black and white, I will maybe include more black and white images in the, you know, in the shot that I offer. So yeah. you can end up steering your work towards what you think they're going to like more 
but yeah. at the same time you're not compromising on on the style that you add to the photos which is the whole reason why i imagine they would have booked you in the first place oh yes yes i mean it's that you definitely see that it's it's my work you know the way i use the light for example but i will i will make some adjustments you know i would say maybe even if it's just subconscious based on what what i've seen in their home so stephanie you mentioned then that it was a i think you said it was a side hustle obviously now it's not a side hustle how did you transition then from it being a side hustle and it being something you were doing not as a full-time operation to being full-time like it is now? Well, I would say, first of all, being too busy. So thinking, okay, you know, this is getting stressful now because I am working on my day job and I'm working, you know, really busy on the photography as well. Uh, my kids starting school was a big one as well, because I think you've got to, you know, make the business work for you. If you're going to be self-employed, you know, the whole point is to make it work around um, your own restraint, you know, constraints. And mm-hmm. and for me, um, you know, when the kids were little, I had to work at the weekend because that's the time I could get my husband to look after the kids. Um, but as they started school, I needed to fill that weekday daytime slot. So this is when I really started ramping up the photography and maybe starting to go also into, um, you know, photographing businesses. I would say for me, a, a big milestone was when we uh, did a house extension, which way went way over budget and I really needed the money. And I think that, you know, can be a good motivator as well to just push yourself and work that I would have previously turned down because it wasn't what I did, you know, things like, I don't know, events or headshots. Or, and I, I would, I would just spend the whole year saying yes to everything, which was really exciting actually, because I discovered you know, different types of photography that I thought wouldn't be for me and Mm -hmm. actually that I enjoyed. Also, with my own kids growing up, you know, photographing little babies when I was in that whole baby zone felt super comfortable. And I remember being terrified of teenagers, you know, whenever I had to do a shoot with teenagers, I'm like, (laughs) oh, they're going to think I'm really lame. I've got no idea how (laughs) to communicate with them. But, uh, you know, with I suppose as we evolve with life, you know, so does our experience and we feel more confident in different situations. Can you think of any examples then of photography that you tried and then thought to yourself, actually, I don't feel comfortable doing this. And now now you don't do it. Good question. I would say, so I like all types of people photography, I would say. What I don't feel um, is for me is weddings. So I've, I've just photographed a few weddings and I've loved it, but it was because there were, you know, small weddings, uh, coverage of, you know, four, four hours, something like that. I think for me, I don't know if I'm just don't have the stamina, but it requires so much brain space and energy and stress and it's the weekend. And so this is why, I, you know, I think I know some people love doing weddings. The few that I've done, I've really enjoyed but I just have so much respect for wedding photographers because it, it is really full on. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I could do, you know, like I know some people do like 12 hours. And I think this is, again, you know, it's the beauty of being self-employed is deciding the jobs you want to do based on your own, your own needs and your, your strengths. And I would say, yeah, endurance <laughs> Mm. plus I get really emotional at weddings and I, I kind of forget I'm supposed to be photographing I'm like I'm behave like a guest and I'm like oh lovely I'm like, oh no I need to take photos of this so no yeah it's not I, I think also some people are great at 
observing. I wouldn't call myself an entertainer, but I like to lead the sessions. I like to set the mood. I'm not really a fly on the wall type person. And, you know, I've got to capitalize on that because it can be a strength in some situations. It's interesting that you say about being emotional when you're on a shoot, because I think that's one of the characteristics of a lot of photographers. I don't shoot weddings anymore, but in the past when I used to, uh, I used to find I'd get quite emotional at weddings. I did like the stress on the day, but there were there were times where I'd, I'd find it really quite emotional. And there was, there was one wedding in particular, I remember in Bristol, when I just had tears streaming down my face and therefore I was using my camera to sort of almost hide behind. It can feel like such a privilege to be, you know, there at those events. I, I mean, I photographed um, a couple of years ago, I did some coverage for um, a charity called Hostage International. Mm -hmm. and um it was an event it was very um small venue very intimate event with ex-hostages families of hostages wow doing a talk and just thinking about it it just gives me goosebumps again but um Mm -hmm. it was just absolutely incredible and and feeling wow you know there's no reason for me to be there apart from the fact I'm taking photos so it's thanks to my job that I'm here witnessing this amazing moment and I just came out such a buzz it was really really good so yeah you know I think we shouldn't shy away from the you know the emotion I guess because that's also what makes us good photographer probably but you're right sometimes you can miss the odd shot because you are caught in the moment yourself if 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 someone's (laughs) speaking on a stage about something that happened then then you can be a you you can get a bit kind of whoa and then you suddenly think oh hold on I should be photographing these reactions instead of giving a reaction exactly absolutely absolutely Stephanie on your website you've got a section for family photography and a section for commercial photography Roughly what sort of split do you do between the two? I would say the commercial is growing more and more. And um, I was trying to think why that was. I think there's different factors. First of all, for families, this is something, you know, that somebody who's trying to get into photography should should really, um, you know, be mindful of is um, how to make our businesses as technology proof as, as possible. Mm-hmm. How do we still add a value, uh, you know, when phone cameras become, you know, more and more clever and mm. and sometimes can take better photos than a, you know, SLR if you don't really know how to use an SLR. So what I find now is that the family photography, a lot of the because my kids aren't little anymore. So I don't really have that direct network like I used to have when, when they were little. And people tend to photograph, um, you know, get some professional photos of their family when the kids are, are little. Because by the time the kids are 10, usually, you know that the children are going to be like, oh, you know, <laughs> dragging their heels. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you know the parents just already trying to picture what it would be like trying to convince a teenager to have a photo shoot and just give up before they've even started mm. but the the need that will still remain I think for family photography is the larger group so the extended family should have really pushed that and I love doing those where you know the family gets together maybe it's the um you know a special wedding anniversary for the grandparents or mm. um, often it's for it's for grandma pretty much and I love doing those because just seeing the you know the family dynamics and as I say I love running the session so usually I arrive on the shoot and some people don't want to be there in the first place mm. maybe there's a little bit of you know family conflict or something maybe um, the kids you know there's a bit of comparison maybe between the different yeah 
siblings, I don't know. I found that absolutely fascinating. And I love arriving and just my challenge is see if in the first five minutes of me being there, I can switch the mood and get people actually thinking, oh, this isn't going to be as painful as I thought it was going to be. You know, we might actually have fun on this shoot and just trying to get a bit of banter going and trying to really bring out the best out of everybody who's there so that when they look back at the photos, you know, the, the kind of feedback I was getting in my first uh, couple of years of business is, oh my God, I don't know how you managed to get some good photos in, you know, even though it was absolute chaos. And mm. I would kind of leave a session. Everybody was a bit flustered. I could see that, you know, mum was on the verge of tears because the kids were <laughs> losing it. <laughs> but I thought, okay, I'm, you know, I, I think I can rescue this and, and I'll surprise them with how they got decent shots despite how painful that was. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, with experience, it's just trying to anticipate those moments and, and not, you know, trying to know what the triggers are for the kids losing, losing it, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think where I add value is being able to set the tone so that people are actually enjoying the session. And when they look back at the photo, I get emails from the grandma saying, I can't tell you how much joy it brings me because I look back and I think what a lovely time we had all together. And I feel like almost I'm facilitating a beautiful family moment. So this is where I feel I'm, I'm, I'm adding value and this, you can't, and, and, you know, you can't get that with an iPhone. So it's just keeping thinking about how as photographers, we can add value now for the commercial side. Yes, there are phones, but there is a, you know, constant demand you know, in this day and age, you know, with the social media for businesses to, you know, give imagery uh, constantly to their, um, to their clients. Mm. So it's good. It's good because um, there's a lot of demand. Having said that, there's also seems to be a shift towards almost like amateurish um, footage or, or photographs to make it look more relatable. So, you know, there are trends that come and goes, you know, I like for me having fingers in, not, fingers in all the pies is a bit of an exaggeration, but I try to just keep seeing how I can add value and not be dependent on technology improvements. Hmm. So working with um, businesses, I'm not just there to take photos. I'm asking the questions about, you know, who who really is their target audience, trying to understand, maybe ask them questions they hadn't really thought of, especially for small businesses, you know, obviously for businesses that have a marketing department etc they've already got it all sorted but for smaller businesses you know they might like some photos they've seen but not realize actually it's not okay it might look you might look cool in the photo but is it giving the right impression to your you know potential clients um you know how how do you make yourself unique you know what's your usp who are you trying to attract who are you trying to repel just with images all, all these things they hadn't necessarily considered Uh, And I find that really, really interesting. I think it's amazing that you're you're talking about the the shift towards the, I think you called it the more amateur style in the commercial photography world, because I'm guessing that their audience or they've recognized that their audience is going to respond better to authentic imagery. And maybe even the COVID whole, you know, the whole COVID situation has added to that because suddenly you've got people uh, presenting on television, you know, being interviewed on, on BBC news and they're being interviewed at home. And and of course there've been a few classic situations where that's gone wrong, you know, more and more we're seeing that kind of thing happening. So just on that, do you think that that is 
uh, a threat to the sort of professional imagery that you and I tend to produce for our clients? That's a very good question. It might be a threat, but I think it's just important not to ignore it or to bury our head in the sand and just think about how we can still add value. I think it's probably a, a you know, it, I think it's some something that will change again. And even, you know, I think, so, you know, it's like a, like we say in France, coiffé des coiffé, you know, when you, you, you want to look good and you want to make it look effortless, but actually it took a lot of effort to make it look effortless, if you see what I mean. <laughs> so, you know, there is amateur and there is amateur. So, you know, it's just, if, if, the, if the brief is make it look like it was shot, you know, without too much equipment, make it look not too s slick or polished, you still need to really pay attention to the message you want to put across, if you see what I mean. So, mm. and you can't have, you know, rubbish sound, for example. I mean, I say sound because I know you do, you know, uh, videography. I don't know. I don't know where things are going. I, um, I like to keep my options open and just observe and, you know, look at trends and, and see what I can do with them. I guess the reason I ask is because I, I've had a, in, in the last 12 months, I've had a couple of clients ask me to produce for, for them either photographs or video footage, which kind of looks like it has been shot in an amateur way. But like you say, there is amateur and there's there's real amateur. So if you produce something which looks authentic and, and is authentic, of course, <laughs> otherwise it's not authentic. Yeah. But equally, there's someone involved in that whole process who understands either audio or visuals so that so that they're still able to get good quality but in an amateur format then they can still retain the authenticity but without it looking just bad but it's interesting i think to to look at where it's going to go and then maybe just to always bear in mind what it is that our clients are going to be looking for and what they need and then to provide a service that's going to help them yes and i think you know they still need compelling content you know not every tom dick and harry can just grab a phone and create something that is going to you know grab the potential customers at um, the heartstrings so i think maybe then is for companies that um, it is for us to not just rely on the fact we're going to get beautiful footage because the gear can make it beautiful but more about trying to think about the brand and the story so not just being photographers or videographers but maybe taking on that role almost of the how can I say like the script writer which is also I think really interesting. So you may you may find yourself in a situation then where one day you're dealing with children and the next day you're dealing with the CEO of a company somewhere how do you manage from almost like one extreme to another in your communication, in how you, in how you manage the shoot itself. How do you find those differences between the two markets that you're operating in? Well, first of all, I love the variety because, uh, you know, I can never get bored with doing, you know, things that are so different. I like the grown-up environment of the office. I feel maybe if I, if I'd never worked in an office, maybe I would find it a little bit more challenging, but kind of brings me back to my office days um which i enjoy now photographing the ceo and photographing other members of staff it can feel quite different because with the bigger companies you know they are so, you know the ceos they not necessarily going to get 
particularly excited. I mean, in fact, it's quite rare that uh, turn up at companies for headshots and that anybody is excited. Usually they all kind of bury their heads, you know, behind their screen and hope, uh, hope I don't notice them. Mm. But my family shoots, usually I'm there for two hours and we take time and we play and we do all sorts. The office, what they appreciate is that I can be efficient mm-hmm. and Again, just turning around the mood, you know, especially if I do, um, you know, almost conveyor belt style headshots. I mean, one day I remember I did in, I had an hour and a half to do 70 headshots and we got through them wow. and it was like. <laughs> in an hour and a half. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. So they were queuing, basically they were all queuing behind me. Bam, bam, bam. But it's just finding those little things, to, you know, already if I'm smiling, if I look upbeat, they will mirror my behavior and my mm. expressions. Yeah, it's just putting yourself in their shoes, I guess. You know, they, they just want to get it over with as quickly as possible. They also appreciating the fact that they want to look good. They don't want to be embarrassed by the photo, you know, if their colleagues see them or they appear on the website. So just acknowledging that they can have maybe some hang-ups about the way they look. So I do show the back of the camera, you know, mm. if I if I have more than one minute, um, I do show them because I just understanding it from their viewpoint, you know, what what they want out of the headshot. Um, so yeah, it's a very different to photographing families because family I never show that we just go with the flow and we play and we have fun. It's just understanding your client, you know, understanding your audience and thinking what you know, what they want and what they need. I can remember one time doing uh, a similar kind of shoot, not quite 70 in an hour and a half, but I was in the basement floor of a stockbroker firm in central London. And and I was there all day photographing people. And naturally, you know, anybody who's older than 30, they find that when they see themselves in a photo, they're, they're looking at, you know, any excessive weight that they don't want to carry. They're looking at how tired, you know, they're not seeing the good things about themselves. They're, yeah. they're immediately looking at the bad things. So one of the things I discovered is that after taking a photograph of somebody, instead of showing them the back of the camera straight away, I'll show that to the next person waiting to have their photograph taken. And I'll yes. say to them something like, doesn't she look amazing in this picture? And the other person <laughs> then goes, oh, you look lovely. Come and have a look at this. You look amazing in this. And it transforms it completely as opposed to showing the person whose photograph you've just taken where yeah. they're not getting that sort of social proof, I guess, from from their peers and their colleagues who they work no, with. That's a very good But idea. also worse than that, the other people waiting to have their photograph taken, they're now seeing the reaction of someone who's just had their photograph taken. And, and they might go, oh dear, because they're looking at, you know, uh, how they look. And so that's now not filling the next person with confidence about how they're going to look in their picture. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I found that had a real double advantage. And I just, I fell into that by accident. That wasn't me thinking it and planning it. It was just by accident. So I, I've definitely noticed that when I do a group of people, is the, the one who's being photographed is the one who's the most critical, that's for sure. Mm. But it never occurred to me to show the photo first to someone else before showing it to to uh, the person I photographed. So yeah, so it just kind of changes, it kind of reframes it, doesn't it? And changes their maybe their first impression of the shot. But I love the way that you say that you're always putting yourself in their shoes. I mean, that's that's a great way to think, isn't it? In, in all walks of life, not just in photography. Yes, because personally, I don't mind being photographed. I don't, you know, it's not that I think I'm the most beautiful person in the world, but I'm not mm-hmm. particularly critical of the way. I, I don't really, you know, as long as, long as I look friendly enough um, in the photo, that's, 
But, you know, with experience, you realize that you put the camera in front of your face and they pull a face that you've never seen. I don't know where it comes from, that fear of fear of being photographed, because I, I, I don't particularly relate to it. it. You know, I didn't used to relate to it. Now I understand because I can see that it's, it seems to be you know more common than not amongst the people that I do photograph. And it's just, again, you know, not dismissing it, maybe not saying, oh, you know, oh, making a bit fuss about nothing. It's just understanding you're not the only one. You know, most people come and they, they're really nervous. And it's, you know, I understand that you're nervous, basically, and, and not dismissing their, their fears, but acknowledging it instead and, and working with it. And mm. I, think, I think they appreciate that. And again, and again, if, you know, if I show it, that's if I have time, obviously, not if I'm doing, you know, loads and loads of headshots and conveyor belt style. But if they don't like their photos, I don't go, oh, you know, but you'd look beautiful. It's like, okay, you know, my job is to get you a photo where that you're happy with. And so we're just going to carry on and we you know we'll try different lights and we'll try different poses. And again, they appreciate that they, you know, that I'm not just dismissing their, their concerns. And sometimes of course, people are very self-conscious about maybe a feature of their, of their body, which, which other people don't notice at all. You know, maybe somebody feels like their ears stick out a little bit. So if you have somebody with long hair and they, they've got the tip of their ear sort of poking out through their hair, then to anyone else, it might look totally fine. But to them, it's a really big thing. So actually yeah. you're right to reshoot that so that they're happy with it. And then everybody's yeah, yeah, happy yeah. with it. And this is it. And showing them and, and their, I mean, people are very, very particular about their hair. I've noticed <laughs> <laughs> yeah. things that, you know, it's like, does my hair look fine? It looks fine to me, but you know, that it might just be the way the fringe falls that they don't like, etc. So this is why I, I don't let them leave the house until they've seen a photo that they're like, yeah, they, they, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with that. Another one is I say, I mean, you know, it might not sound very PC, but I say to them, I can also Photoshop the photo as much as you like. You know, it still has to look like you, obviously, you know, and I won't start Photoshopping without you telling me. But it's just for, just so they know, almost as a safety blanket. Do you see what I mean? Um, that I can, I can make some tweaks. I can remove the spot they've got on their forehead. They don't need to worry about that. And if they need to reduce the back, you know... I, I don't, I don't say, oh, with your bags you've got under your eyes, I'll definitely get rid of that at all. <laughs> but I, I send them the photo and I say, these are the photos as they are. I, know I haven't done any retouching on them. I think they look absolutely beautiful as they are. But if there's anything that, you know, bothers you, just let me know and I can work my magic on them. And, and most of the time they say, oh, maybe they say, you know, just um, very small things, but most of them, they don't need the retouching, but just knowing that it's possible already, it just helps them relax uh, during the shoot. And if they're relaxed, then they're going to look better in the first place, aren't they? Well, exactly, exactly. It's confidence that's beautiful. So it's just, this is what I need, you know, just make them feel confident and that already makes a massive difference. What would you say to anybody who's wanting to get into photography? Maybe they're not uh, qualified in being a photographer. They don't have those letters after their name to make them like an official photographer. And how do you feel that they that that might change their approach to starting a business in photography in the first place? Um, so, yes, I think what I've seen in, in photography groups um, often is that question, you know, when do I know I'm good enough to start charging, for example? Mm. Uh, the, way, the way I approached it, I went and did a um, city and guilds course. I thought, you know, I'm just going to do like some kind of qualification at college. You know, it wasn't 
it wasn't particularly onerous. It was, what was it? I think, it's, yeah, it was maybe two or three times, um, like one evening a week. And, you know, it was actually fun. I mean, this is so long ago now, <laughs> actually <laughs> developing a film in the lab. And, you know, it was all kind of black and white and stuff. But I thought if anybody asks me, what are your qualifications? You know, what, what, you know, how come you're charging for this if you haven't studied photography? At least I'll have something that I can say, well, this is, you know, I did this. Nobody's ever asked me. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think that what's great about our job is that the images speak for themselves. So, yes, there's also word of mouth. So in between the word of mouth and being able to just show instantly without adding loads of words and, and a CV attached to it, what we do, there's not that many jobs that can, you know, just one picture and you get an idea of the the um level of proficiency almost um of Hmm. of the of the photographer but having said that it's not necessarily the best photographers that have the best businesses um it you know the actual level of photography i would say is is only a small portion if you're a people person if you like to network um i think that's the kind of thing that will actually have a much bigger impact on your business than the quality of the photos so again it comes down to confidence i think one of those things that a lot of photographers including myself tend to find every so often is that you're in a situation taking photographs of something or someone and you think to yourself hang on i'm i'm not qualified to do this and i don't mean in terms of qualifications with letters after your name i mean just you know that imposter syndrome of feeling like you're not good enough to be doing that thing that you're actually doing very capably but you know you feel like to yourself you're not very good at it do you ever find that you get that imposter syndrome and if so how would you suggest to other photographers to get over that kind of thing Hmm. good question I think sometimes I am in situation where I think oh I wonder what you know how so and so would have handled this you know I'd love to you know sometimes you do walk away from shoots thinking I think I could have done better. I'm not really sure how, but I'm not 100% happy with the outcome of this. I found that often, you know, leaving it a few days before doing the culling and the editing. I mean, my husband, when I come home and, and I say, oh, the shoot went really badly. And <laughs> now he just rolls his eyes and goes, yeah, yeah, you know, talk to me again in a few days. Because <laughs> by the time I've done the culling and the editing, I'm thinking, actually, you know, that gallery is a lot better. He was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> that every time. So, um, so is, is that you putting yourself down as soon as you've done the shoot? You're putting yourself down before you've even had a chance to look at the pictures then? I don't know. I, you know, and but sometimes I do walk out of shoots buzzing and thinking that was brilliant. I loved every minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say maybe it's 50-50. I don't know. Maybe I'm exaggerating. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not always that I come back from a shoot feeling uh, you know, disheartened, not, not really not, but, uh, but sometimes I do. And, and it, and it can affect my mood for a few days, probably. But um, I just have to keep reminding myself, you know, my clients are happy. You know, what can you do? Um, something that I find is a good confidence booster, actually, is doing um, a bit of pro bono work for charities where you don't have the same kind of um, pressure to perform in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you feel it feels so 
good. You know, you find yourself in a situation that you wouldn't know that where you feel you can really make a difference um, mm-hmm. and help promote the charity. And, and you know, of course, I know some charities, and I, sometimes I do paid work for charity. You know, some charities, of course, have, you know, budgets for, for photography and stuff. I'm not saying that it should always be free, but I do work, you know, every year with a couple of charities. And, and that is the kind of thing that it makes me feel good on every level, um so i think you know for people who have you know tend to have low confidence maybe thinking about the kind of work that would give them more confidence maybe you know stay more in the areas they're comfortable with until they feel proficient enough to move on to something else i don't have big confidence crisis maybe i don't know i don't don't know if i'm too big-headed or what but (laughs) i i don't think my work is amazing i'm just thinking you know it's good enough for my business. It, you know, I don't have big, um, you know, existential crisis about what I do. I, I just, uh, you know, my clients are happy. It's, it's enough. Mm. Um, in our next episode, we're going to be speaking to a British photographer who's operating in America. How do you find being a French photographer who's operating in the UK, even though you've been here for a number of years now? Yeah, I think, you know what, I I think it could have been worse for me. I think being French, you know, the stereotypes associated with the French are playing maybe a little bit to my favor in terms of, you know, maybe there's a, I don't think I'm a particularly sophisticated person, but maybe just like, you know, the way the British are seen in the US, there's a stereotype of a bit of sophistication that kind of plays in our favor, whether it's true or not. Um, so, I, I, you know, it hasn't done me any disservice, let's put it that way. And and because my husband is, is British and I've been here a long time, it hasn't, you know, I haven't really been in many situations where there was, you know, things lost in translation or I misread a situation. You know, with the years, I kind of got used to the British way of life, I suppose. Have you yeah, experienced so anything different. negative at all regarding the whole Brexit shenanigans that's been going on for the last few years? Not on the professional level um, yet. It's funny because actually when the Brexit vote happened... I had I would walk into family shoots and people already apologizing (laughs) (laughs) as if it was their fault which usually it wasn't because if they're apologizing you know they kind of uh, voted the other way um but um so I I I wouldn't say it's 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 been a an issue for me yet you know on a a professional level just because Mm. also you know I'm not I'm not really dealing with um people from the EU in terms of my business my business is very local I've kept it very local so I think maybe what it would have you know we'll see we'll see what happens but um because of my pricing maybe it's on the higher end um of the bracket in terms you know for my family shoots you know I don't know how my potential clients will be affected by Brexit I think that's more the concern um you know whether We'll see. We shall see what the future brings. I think for me, you know, my my accent, my grandmother, she was a French teacher. She lived in the US all her life because she had a much thicker accent than I did. And and I said, you know, she was like, I will never lose my accent. It is open all the doors for me. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's just, again, standing up from the crowd, making yourself um more memorable and and you know being different does help in that respect i suppose yeah Uh, what advice would you give to someone who wants to start in photography or maybe they've already started and they want to grow their photography and we're here in 2021 what would you say to someone in that situation right now so i would say you know look at what your motivations are for growing your business how it how is it going to work with with your life with your constraint with your aspirations Mm -hmm. And then 
So we're bearing that in mind. Think about what what problems you're trying to solve for your clients, how you can be of value, you know, how you can add more than just the fact that you've got a good camera and you can take pretty photos. Um, so this is what this is what I would um, this is what I would um, advise. So thinking about constantly about how you add value, whether it's for a family shoot or whether it's for you know commercial shoot, um, is the same thing for me in terms of doing something better than what anybody else with a good camera could do. Awesome, I love it. Um, you mentioned about the fact that you teach beginner photography earlier on in this episode. So you, you do training courses, I'm guessing. Can you tell us a little bit more about the training courses that you offer and how students can benefit from them? Yes, yeah, so I do training at different levels from, I even do like a um, Duke of Edinburgh style training for teenagers. I do um, training for um, parents with the DSLR who want to take better photos of their kids, but also I do training for professional photographers. Um, so over the years, I've done several talks at the um, SWPP convention, okay. um, which, um, so when lockdown happened, um, the first lockdown happened last year and I had just, um, you know, finished the convention. I thought what I could do is repackage some of my masterclasses into, you know, Zoom sessions. Mm -hmm. um, having attended the convention in the past, I, I know that I would get really frustrated if I went to a, a class which was just like a, either a glorified sales pitch or, you know, not really giving you know giving me some general advice without going into the nitty-gritty of things without you know being just um i suppose practical and, and giving me something uh, to challenge myself so this is okay. how i designed my master classes and um so I, i've repackaged them as um two-hour zoom sessions which i do in, in small groups and that's worked really really well actually during the various lockdowns people taking that opportunity to improve their skills and so I do one on flash, I do one on corporate photography, I do one on um, baby lifestyle photography. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, it's been really, uh, it's been really lovely. And then I also do one-to-ones with photographers kind of, you know, following the doing portfolio reviews, that sort of thing. I guess in many ways, uh, COVID and lockdown scenarios have sort of added to the um, accessibility of this kind of training where in the past it might be that if you said to somebody we're going to do a session on zoom then they might be thinking what is zoom or zoom is just you know reserved yes. for geeky sort of people but all of a sudden everybody's using zoom we all know what zoom is yeah yeah absolutely I mean it, you know it's really opened the door to remote uh, learning massively I just really like the you know the interaction mm. a non-photography question here I'm asking you three things that you're into right now and one thing that you would like to throw into the world of never seeing again. Okay, yes. So uh, <laughs> things I'm into, so what I've really loved um, about this pandemic, I mean, there's loads of crappy things, but what I've really loved is being able to connect with my teenagers better because normally they're always out and about and, you know, I feel bad for them because they have to stay at home, but uh, it's meant more family time, you know, time that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So we've been watching some really cool 
series like kind of kind of gone into a routine of you know we have dinner and then just almost like dessert you know we have dessert in front of the tv and we've been oh, watching nice. i like that we've been what just like yeah it's been so nice so just short episodes so that it's not too much of a commitment for them spend with mom and dad but we've been watching the whole of sheets creek which has been so fun <laughs> um so she's really good. And also um, this country. So if you've got, you know, all the teenagers, I totally recommend that as a, as a family viewing, really. Um, I mean, there's a lot of swearing um, and, you know, maybe some things that are a bit borderline, you know, cringe to watch with parents, but um, it's, it's been great. It's been great. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe the last thing, the, the third thing would be um, running. So I kind of, you know, I'm the least sports um, sporty uh, person uh, you know but um, I've, I've just started like a, just last year like a running running group for people who don't run and that's been absolutely lovely actually really nice to just go out and we do like a I don't know if you know park run you know when you I, I know meet park on, runs yeah yeah, yeah on so Saturday, Saturday mornings aren't they exactly exactly except that we can't do park run at the moment but um, you know we do it virtually so the group, yeah, the group I joined is, is uh, Athena and then with Park Run, it's called Fly 5K. Mm-hmm. You can do a, so if you look online, Fly 5K, you can go and take part in the virtual Park Run. So we all run on a Saturday morning. We all record our time and it's just really lovely motivator to just, you know, do something good for your body and for your soul. I love the way you've opened that up though to, or not even opened up, but you're sort of helping as much as you can people who don't normally run because I think that there's a bit of a fear of when you start running and start running in a group that you'll be the one that's like way worse than everybody else yes yes so you know the 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 program I followed uh, was called um, Athena I don't know if they do it remote you know it's in, in my town in St Albans um, and it was you know women like me basically who don't really run have tried the coach to 5k you know five times never <laughs> got around to the, the 5k bit Actually, the group has been, rather than being a something that made us nervous, was actually uh, really empowering. And we, we really encourage each other. So it's, it's, it's been lovely, actually. Really nice. Okay, so that's three things you're into. One thing you want to throw into the world of never seeing again? Uh, you know what? My big pile of uh, stuff to go to charity that's been waiting in the <laughs> corridor. <laughs> you know you kind of you've got all this time so you kind of try to declutter a little bit except you can't take it anywhere so yeah i will want to get rid of my pile of charity stuff charity shops are going to be flooded aren't they after after yeah. lockdown we're current we're recording this in lockdown mark three in early 2021 so i think once we're out of this charity shops are going to be inundated with lots of stuff heading their way <laughs> yes hopefully one day we'll make its way to a a good home (laughs) yeah yeah well look stephanie we need to wrap this up in a moment but before we end this where can listeners go to find out more about you and also to find out more about the training courses that you're offering okay so my website is stephaniebelton.com and on there you'll find all the information if you go to photography courses you'll see uh, you'll see it all listed there and that's b-e-l-t-o-n is that right yeah yeah i'm also on instagram stephanie belton and on facebook awesome okay fantastic well thank you so much for your time i really appreciate you being here today and i really appreciate you being here on the show absolute pleasure simon i really enjoyed it 
Well, that was Stephanie Belton, and you can find her online at stephaniebelton.com or on Instagram at Stephanie Belton. If you're interested in learning more, then go check her out. This is not a sponsored podcast at all, but I think you can tell just from listening to her how passionate she is about photography and people. Did you notice, by the way, that she didn't mention gear at all? I, I don't even know if she shoots with Canon, Nikon, Sony, because like so many other things, it's not what you have. It's how you use it to get the most from the people that you're connecting with. Right now, in our next episode, we jump across to the US where we'll be interviewing someone from the UK, but someone who moved across there six years ago. That episode is ready right now. But to ensure that you don't miss any future episodes, then click that subscribe button. And it would be my pleasure to serve you by bringing more people to you to share their experience running their business. But in the meantime, thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.